For me, there are two sides to this. I can understand the loneliness of others. I've been in that realm, but not significantly, to be honest, because I've always had a very, very positive outlook about life. I have, which is fortunate. I remember my mother saying, you know, boy, you, you know, you're so positive about everything. And I said, I got it from you, Mum. And she said, no, you got it from your school. And I said, no, I didn't. I got it from you. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Stories by the Wayside. My name is John Owen, and I've been the pastor and CEO of Wayside Chapel since 2018. But I've spent my life creating a community with no us and them. This podcast is a tribute to love and belonging, loneliness and loss, and the rich kaleidoscope of chaos that comes when life is lived out loud and from the gutter up. Today we're diving deep into the life and memories of a man who has a real penchant for adventure. He set sail at only 16 and travelled the world on a ship, following the sun for many years. His tales are both fast and intimate. From marrying at the wayside in the 80s to his deep commitment to preserving the green spaces around Sydney, our conversation touches upon the significance of community, the essence of open spaces for mental health, and the delicate balance between loneliness and solitude. Join me for this candid conversation with a wayside volunteer and friend. So it all started with Wayside, with me, right, many, 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 many years ago when I got married by Ted Knopfs in 1980. And why Wayside? I really don't know, John, to this day why it was Wayside because I think that we were both non-denominational. It was a church. It was an organisation where even then... There was no them and us, so we could go in, and I believe that Ted Knopfs was marrying about three or four people every weekend, <laughs> and we were one. <laughs> that was the original social enterprise. Yeah, it was, yeah. So that's that's where I started with Wayside. And where how, did you, how did you hear about Wayside? I've got no idea, hmm. to be honest with you, because I lived on the North Shore. Can I take you back? Try yes. and cast your mind back, close your eyes and think about your yep. wedding day. At the wayside. What are your memories? What comes back about that time? What was it like? What did it look like? What was going on outside uh, the front? Oh, uh, okay. What was going on? I was at sea. Metaphorically? And actually, <laughs> yes, I was at sea. In fact, did that all happen? Um, <laughs> I was with a shipping company called p right? So I was at sea for from the age of 16 Prior to that, I was at boarding school in London. I remember somebody saying, so where did you live when you were at sea? And I said, what? Where did you live? And I said, well, on a ship. I was basically on a ship. In those days, ships weren't based in Sydney or in Los Angeles or wherever. We moved around the world with the sun. So in the southern summer, we were down here. In the northern summer, we were in the Mediterranean. In between, we were in the Caribbean. So we Travelled the world. So I was very used to being on my own, but with a community. Coming back to your question, why Wayside? I think the answer was that we wanted something that was basically non-denominational, but had, you know, a nice feeling about it because weddings are pretty special. So that's where I first started with Wayside and then moved forward approximately 40 years, you and I were on a boat on Sydney Harbour on Boxing Day a few years ago at the start of the Sydney Harbour. That was the year that uh, the foreign minister jumped into the water. Right. You're right. Well, my daughter was senior policy advisor to the foreign minister at the time and um, my daughter was invited to see the yachts sail, one of which was an all-girl crew, the first all-girl crew on the Sydney Hobart. And Julie Bishop was on board. And if you remember, she was taken out round the heads and jumped off the back of the boat. 
<laughs> waved goodbye to the girls from the water uh, with a life jacket, of course, and picked up and off the boat went to Hobart. But you and I, Georgie was on the boat with me and said, I'd like you to meet uh, John. And that's how it all started again at Wayside. So That's right. So you had some very key moments in your life you've yeah. had touch points with. Wayside. Yeah, yeah. I've always been community-minded because mm. I was an elected councillor for mm. my local government area and I was an original member of a group called the Headland Preservation Group, which actually saved Middlehead and Georges Heights. Very historic uh, and very significant as far as First Nations were concerned and, mm. and military bases because it was on Middlehead that all the gun placements were there to defend Australia from, I believe at the time it might have been the Russians or something like that. But um, so we had this huge tract of land, three tiers of government, federal, state and local, wanted to um, build, I think it was about 300 houses they wanted to build there. And together with a couple of other people, literally a couple of other people, we said, no way, we don't want houses built on there. Because that comes back to today mm. where you read about loneliness and tension and stress and the lack of open area where people can actually go out and relax. You know, mm. it's, it's very important. Um, so we actually saved um, Middlehead and George's Heights from development. There's been absolutely no development there. Uh, and it allows people from all over Sydney to, you know, just stroll around on these grounds that haven't been changed for, for decades and decades and decades. And, you know, there's still little Aboriginal middens around there. So it's very significant. And I go up there quite regularly, you know, and have a run around there. And it's a great spot. I was reading reports only a few days ago where it said the importance of greenery around you for Mental health and physical health is so important. And it, it takes me to, you know, I saw the television the other day and saw these new estates out west where basically there are just solar panels and grey roofs and eaves of houses that are virtually touching each other. And you think, boy, are we really doing the right thing for society by cramming people in so close? Because I'm sure that, you know, although they live right next door to each other, I reckon there's a hell of a lot of loneliness out there. Well, there is in any suburb. You touched on the topic of loneliness. Mm -hmm. And what does loneliness mean to you? Everybody experiences loneliness, I'm sure. But for me, there are two sides to this. I can understand the loneliness of others. I've been in that uh, realm, but not significantly, to be honest, because I've always had a very, very positive outlook about life. I have, which is fortunate. I remember my mother saying, you know, boy, you, you know, you're so positive about everything. And I said, I got it from you, Mum. And she said, no, you got it from your school. And I said, no, I didn't. I got it from you. <laughs> my mum. <laughs> but, well, um, there is a difference between loneliness and solitude, isn't there? I like to spend time on my own. Am I lonely? Yes, on occasions I am. Yeah, because I... I live on my own. I've got a beautiful son and a daughter and, and of course, a lot of friends because I'm a local beach club and I go down there regularly and say good day to a lot of people, go for a swim every morning, go swimming with people. But that's all over by 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. So what do I do now? Mm. So, um, having met you, going back four or five years again, having met you... <laughs> Um, and you shanghaied me into, well, I'll expect to hear from you. <laughs> we'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now I'm at Wayside two days a week in the low-cost cafe and I really enjoy it. I remember walking in to the chapel mm. and I thought, wow, you know, there is nobody there mm. and you just walk in and you think, boy, this is got something special about it. Really, it's only, obviously, bricks and mortar. Mm. But there is that feeling inside mm. of 
yesterday's people or the people before or the people before or the people to come that um, create this, I don't know, it's ethereal magic. I, I don't know what it is, but it's difficult to describe. But I walked in there on an occasion, I've done it since, where you think, hmm, this feels like home. And to me, Wayside, particularly for our visitors, I think is an extension of their home. I say it's an extension of my living room, mm. right? And for them, it is home. And there are a lot of beautiful visitors that we have there. They really are. And the more you have time to talk to them and the more open they become about their lives and me about my life as well, the more you think, wow, this is a, this is a really beautiful place. Mm. And I was walking past there with my daughter the other day and Taz came out and, hey, good day, Taz. How are you, mate? <laughs> hey, Taz, this is my daughter. This is my son-in-law. And, and, you know, and it was as though Taz was part of the family almost. You know, the way cities are built nowadays, <clears throat> they tend to foster anonymity. Yes. And the wayside is that place where you are known and you know others, mm. you know, not only by name but also by story yeah. and by shared history yes. as well. Yes, yeah. You know, that it is a special place. You mm. know, I mm. often find myself alone in the building <laughs> in the middle of the night. Oh, and do you? Yeah. yeah, yeah right. just, you know, some meetings have run late. Yeah. I'm the only one there and it's, yeah. it's midnight, one o'clock in the yeah, morning. Yeah, And I'll tell you something, <laughs> the place is full of activity and <laughs> movement yeah. and I can't tell where it's coming no. from. But it, I never yeah. feel afraid. No, no. It, it might no. be doors opening yes. or people, yeah. footsteps going up the stairs, but the yeah. place is yes. so rich with yeah. history since. yeah. The moment it opened its doors in yeah. 1964, it's really had a focus mm. on making everyone feel welcome yeah. in that place, regardless yeah. of sexuality, gender, yes. yeah. whatever yeah. station of yeah. life you find yeah. yourself from, you are welcome in that yeah. place. know them and us. Mm. And I can remember after COVID, my first day back after COVID, I walked out of um, King's Cross Station, right, and immediately I walked out into Darlinghurst Road. Oh, good day. And I thought, look, I'm home. Yeah, I did. I thought, isn't this nice? And as you say, you walk through and you see visitors that you haven't seen for months, I think it was at the time. Yeah. And, you know, there's a smile and things like that. Yeah. And one thing that I will always say about being at Wayside is that um, what you put in, you get out. You get out a hundredfold because you do go there, right? You, you don't know anybody. After a while, you get to know people. You have a chat, have a smile, have a blah, blah, blah. And I've walked out of there into Hugh Street. Uh, good day, good day, bye, see you later. And and you leave with a smile. And, and the thing that I like is that I know that I've left our visitors with a smile as well because of the... The interaction that you know happens. It mm. does. It's not false. It's mm. very genuine. And right. I remember um, when I was actually on the front desk, this is before I started working in the cafe, there was a, a person that came in and said, oh, I've just come out of jail. Apart from me offering help, you know, jock socks and everything else, doesn't matter, but I thought, wow, isn't that amazing that somebody can actually walk into Wayside Chapel and say that and not feel threatened or, oh, you know, pointed at or anything like that. You could just walk in and that person had just come out of jail. And oh, often you see someone still in the green tracksuit, yeah, still with the yeah, clear plastic bag, yeah, yeah. yet they will go to the place where yeah. they know they will feel safe, mm. secure mm. and welcome. Mm. When you think about some of the experiences they've had of being in environments that are not safe, yes, yeah, not particularly welcoming, yeah, and, uh, not particularly caring, mm, that's yeah. quite a powerful thing. Yeah. Now, well, mate, we've gone everywhere. Mm, Let's yeah. go back. What takes a sixteen-year-old kid to leave home and hop on a boat? <clears throat> ship. A ship. <laughs> <laughs> to hop onto a, a ship. Was um, it the Merchant Navy? Yeah, I. Lived right by the sea, literally on the North Sea, little village, 
And uh, I was a sea cadet at the age of 12, you know, in the sea cadet corps. Uh, and very, very enthusiastic because I just loved the water. And I had my first little boat, a little old wooden boat with a canvas sail, presumably at about the age of nine and used to sail around and things like that. And then I went into the sea cadets. So some of your earliest memories are on the on the water. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. I I used to be a barrow boy. And a barrow boy in a seaside resort was a young toddler with a pram or anything that could carry a suitcase going to the railway station or the coach station. Hello, mister, can I carry your bags? Or <laughs> a lot of East End of London people, lovely people, you know. Of course you can, I've gone, put them all in there. And you'd get you'd take them to a caravan park or to a hotel or things like that, and they'd give you a couple of bob, hmm. literally. And you'd go to the caravan park and hopefully somebody from the caravan park would want to go to the station and you'd do that. And you hardly had time for, for lunch on a Saturday and a Sunday, particularly on a Saturday. So I saved up money and bought a little yacht. Hmm. And I think it was, you know, about two... British pounds or something like that. So I love the sea all the way. And um, because of that, my parents, uh, and we, we weren't well off as a family. Mm. Uh, we used to rent rooms out to holiday makers, as we called them. So we were we were certainly not well off. But they sent me, no, they, well, I asked and they sent me to this college in London. And not until quite recently did I realise that I must have been sponsored to go there through a corporation called Trinity House. And Trinity House was basically a British Isles corporation. And here it is, you know, decades and decades and decades later. That it's I amazing really, how these things yeah. come up. Now, so, so, so that's, a, little, a little boy from Essex, all of yep. a sudden you're on the sea, you would have met people from all over the world yes. who you would have yep. never met yeah. previously. Yeah. Right? yeah, You would have it, met some real characters on the sea. Yeah, I did. And some, you know, pretty famous people as well. I remember we had John Wayne on board and we had... Uh, a couple of others, uh, well, quite a few others that I could name. The couple of ships that I was on, the bigger ships that I was on, they're nowhere, they don't compare to today's ships, but uh, we had about 15, 1,800 passengers and probably 800 or 1,000 crews. So it's a community of about 3,000 people, two, two to 3,000 people that's going around the world. And you're actually living with these people for you know, basically a two-year period. If you wanted to stay on the ship, you stayed on and I was on this particular ship for, or two of the ships for probably a total of about four years. So you live with a community on board. Um, and that brings us back to connection because, mm. you know, you have these marvellous relationships with fellow officers, quite a lot of females on board because we had, you know, the purser staff and the... Uh, children's hostesses and the DJs and it's like a large village, you know, mm. where after work you'd go to somebody's cabin or go to a bar and have a couple of drinks and then you'd go and watch for another four hours and while everybody was sleeping you were taking passengers from, you know, New Mia to Vila or somewhere like that. The ship is quite the metaphor, right? Yes, yeah. Because you're, you're not at home but you're heading somewhere. Yeah, I... I I agree with you. You don't actually think about it, John, when you're at sea because that's your life. It's the same as wayside, thinking about it in 24 hours a day. Well, so are we at sea, you know, because I was um, navigator of my last ship, which is a very responsible position. So you're mm. making sure that you pick up the pilot of Sydney Heads and you arrive at the port at the right time and you are always thinking about it and the weather outside and... And it was before the days of digital uh, apparatus, so you were taking sextant sights of the sun, sunrise and sunset and middle of the day. So it was all manual. So you had to, you know, and then I had to go down and report to the captain with a book in hand and say, this is where we are, this is where we're going to pick up the pilot. Very important because you've probably got 10 or 12 coaches that are mm -hmm. taking passengers, you know, all over the island or something like that. It, it's the kind of space that's in between places. Yes. And so it often will find itself full of people who are kind of in between yes. answers in life. Yes. There is a metaphor around the good ship wayside. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> people are in between places. Yeah. They're looking yes. for something next. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And some will stay 
for many cruises and mainline voyages and be there for years. Others, you'll see, come for... And what did sea life teach you that you see is applicable now? I think primarily a respect for the environment and for nature. And I'm, I'm that way inclined now. The interaction with passengers was, I say fleeting, they're all gone within a couple of weeks and a new lot are coming on and things like that. And the idea, obviously, whether they're there for a short period of time or for a long period of time, is that you make them feel at home, basically, as we do at Wayside, you know? Mm. It doesn't matter whether they're there for just a day or for, like, some people that I can name that, are in there virtually every day, have their own table, have their own mates. It's their living room away from home, isn't it? And that's what the ship was. It was my living room moving around the world away from home. Um, So there is a, a, I hadn't thought about it this way, but there is a similarity between the the ship at sea and and the good ship wayside. (laughs) And and many turn up who are definitely at sea. Yeah, yes. And and they're often walking in on the the worst day of their lives. Yeah, I know. In that space. Yes. It's it's on us, it's on you to be that first port of call. Yes. There was an occasion going back a few years when I was comparatively new at wayside, which I won't forget, and somebody said, good day, and I said, good day back. Oh, how are you today? And the visitor said, oh, not good. I don't feel quite a poor, poor night's sleep and things like that. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And the visitor said, well, that doesn't help me, you being sorry. And it changed my approach mm. to visitors completely because it isn't about me necessarily, is it? It's about the visitors. What a gift that is. Yeah, it is. So often we process things in terms of the impact it has upon us. Yeah, yes, yeah. It's reflexive. Yeah, yeah. So never again will I say my my view. So, you know, would you like to talk about Mm -hmm. it? Or should we, yeah? Can I can I get you a cup of coffee and sit down and chat and things like that? And it, it, it does show up the limits of sympathy. It does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? <laughs> yeah, yes, it does. Yeah. I feel so sorry for you. I feel so bad about yeah, what's yeah. happened to you. Well, that's, where, where does that move us to? Yeah. Where what good is that doing to? me? Where does that move you to? Yeah, yeah. Well, that interaction. Yes. Well, it puts you on a different tack if you're sailing. You don't stay on that tack. You change course. The wind gets on the other side, and you take. Ah, that isn't the course that I want to take in future. Just that one incident. I would never say, oh, I am sorry. Mm. Or, oh, that doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make the the visitor feel any good at all. It, in fact, if I was a visitor, I would say, well, obviously that person doesn't, doesn't fully understand why we're all here Uh, because we as staff and uh, volunteers at Wayside are basically here to, I don't know, I suppose the first thing is make people feel at home, make them feel comfortable, make them feel connected, right, so that they, like me, look forward to going to Wayside. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, some of them, I could name three or four of them now, that I could see them right now Mm -hmm. sitting Round the table, four of them, sitting, talking about shit. (laughs) (laughs) Glorious shit. Glorious shit, yes, yeah. Isn't it amazing how we make that shift in our our pronouns from the singular to the collective? Yes, yeah. We stop processing things in terms of me and start processing them in terms of we Mm, mm. and who we are in this moment. yeah. And we can move from that moment that hits us at various points in life. Yeah where we are confronted with the opportunity of moving our question from why me mm. or who am I yes. to who am I being called to be in this community. Yeah, yes, that's context. very true, John. Yeah, yeah. And that makes a difference mm. when it comes to what we talk about and call loneliness, yes. doesn't it? yeah. Well, we all experience loneliness, don't we, to a certain extent, because I've been questioning it myself and am I lonely? And my answer as I think we said earlier, is that, yeah, it's a mental state of mind, which is very easy to say, but it's difficult to overcome if you tell yourself time and time and time again that I am lonely. I think 
one of the roles of Wayside and us at Wayside is to take away that loneliness, go and talk to people, have a chat to them. You may not know them. doesn't make any difference. They're there at Wayside. I'm there at Wayside. And I'm not lonely. The reason that I go to Wayside, because I wanted to actually do something, contribute, mm. you know, to others. Yeah. And at the same time, the very same time, it made me feel as I was back going to the office, you know, <laughs> to the ship. We all end up by the wayside. We do, yeah. yes. In, in in so many different ways through yeah. so many different paths. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, often our visitors come because their lives have fallen apart. Yeah. And yeah. others end up there, yeah. like yourselves, who have led very successful yes. lives, had yeah. very successful yeah. careers. yes. Educated children, raised yeah. a family, yes. and, and they've gone off to have wonderful careers. Yes. And often people walk to at that point in life yeah. and ask themselves, what's next? Yes. I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, the boy from Essex yeah. all of a sudden ends up in North Sydney. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. And then ends up at the cross with you. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first. <laughs> um. <laughs> But you could. You, there's a way of looking at. I mean, you know, I've I've been to your house and yeah, yeah. there's a lovely view. But you could sit there saying, "Hi, oh, I think life sailed me by." Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was employed, I had a pretty senior role, and I used to say to people, as time was marching on, make sure that you've got something to occupy yourself when you retire, because at in the office or at sea, because I was at sea as well, there is a purpose in life, and then when employment stops, there's a gap. There's a gap in connection, a gap in time. There's every aspect there is a gap and that's when you actually can feel lonely and think, but after all this advice that I was giving to people, I really didn't have much to do when I retired, although I like painting and things like that and I'd like to go back into that again and I love art. But um, there, there is a, a gap in your life when you actually stop working. And then you realise that you have relied on the office, on your mates at work or your mates on the ship to, to a great extent. And when suddenly the, that curtain dropped, it didn't actually drop straight away for me because when I retired, I had the qualifications to take a ship to sea and things like that. So I was in Western Australia and, and um, the Northern Territory up in Darwin. Um, and that was interesting because you're you're um, mixing quite a lot with um, the First Nations people up there, which is, which was really enjoyable. And I used I used to run every day of my life until I had this accident, um, and I would be running around the four shores of Darwin and out of the the long grass. We're going, morning, bro. <laughs> yeah. Morning, sis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was great. But the culmination of my retirement was um, I had a phone call one day from the director and he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, um, well, as a matter of fact, nothing. Why? What do you want me to do? So I went out as um, mate on one of our ships to find MH370 in, oh. the, in the Indian Ocean. So we went a 1,000 miles off Perth um, and headed in a southwesterly direction down towards um, Antarctica. We're doing this um, search and rescue pattern for days and days and days, and, and so the last, uh, the last radar sighting of that was yeah. roughly where. How did you approximate where you? Well, were? Well, we were told by camera where to start, and and that was basically a thousand miles west of Perth, and then heading in a southwesterly direction. In other words, tending towards uh, Africa, uh, South Africa, uh, Cape Cape of Good Hope down there. So we were doing that for. 30, 30, 35 days. And that was an interesting experience from my point of view. Because, emotions are running through your head. Yeah, you? because what happened at the beginning, you're right, there were, you could feel the emotions because we were called out 24 hours after it went down. We were the only civilian ship, all the rest were Navy ships. Uh, and um, the, the crew on board were kind of, what's happening? What's happening What's happened to these? I mean, you'd have people. no idea if you're going to find no find a complete wreckage with no. everyone dead, or yeah. you could find people clinging. Yes, to absolutely. Life we had no idea at all. We were there just as a surface 
observation. We had um, Navy divers on board, RAN divers on board, and um, we just scoured with binoculars the, the, the sea surface. Looking at it from a human point of view, there were these quite young crew on board and very concerned, as we all were. Um, and I thought, well, the best thing to do is just to gather them around and say, look, we all feel exactly the same. There are 320-odd people that are missing. We all have these feelings. If you want to chat, I'm here. But just, you know, try and put that to one side a little bit. We can't put it to one side completely. But remember, you know, we've got a ship to run efficiently and the safety of the people on board and we've got an, an, a job to do. In fact, the job to try and find this jet plane that went down. So that was um, the culmination of my, basically, my life at sea. But it was a, it was a, almost a surreal experience. Because you, you didn't find... No, we found anything. nothing. No, yeah. no, and they still haven't, really, except parts that um, were on Ile de Reunion and Madagascar. So you're heading back into Perth? So heading back into Perth. And after that, you think, wow, I, I feel so at ease because we were there for 30 or 40 days. And I said to the crew at the end, I said, can you imagine the number of people in this world that have been on an ocean for 30-plus days not seeing anything, no other ship, no plane, no anything, just looking at the water, looking at the sunrise, the sunset, the beautiful sky, the magnificent Milky Way up there every night. Um, and you come back, you know, I don't know how you describe it, almost cleansed, you know. Oh, geez, that feels good. Yeah. But in the back of your mind, of course, there's still this plane that's in the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that's... <laughs> It's quite, quite time for a coffee. Quite the profound moment. <laughs> mm. Quite the, mm. you know, you you you, you it, go through yeah. something so intense yes. together, a shared experience. Yes, and you you come out the other end. Can we go to what year did you settle in to Sydney? The, the mid seventies. Mid seventies. Yeah, you know. And who did you come over here with? I, I flew myself. Mm. <laughs> I hopped on a plane because my father passed away when I was twenty-one. Well. I, Fortunately, I was on leave at the time, so I was able to say goodbye to Dad. It's, it's a strange thought going back to it because I was at sea for, uh, I don't know, 14 or 15 years, something like that. And then when I came back to England, I said, I'm going out to Australia because we were cruising out of Sydney and I loved Australia. I just always loved Australia. Even in geography lessons at school, I thought, wow, Australia. And um, I hopped on a Qantas jet and came to to, um, to Sydney. Tell us what was Sydney like in the 70s? I remember walking down George Street and thinking, nobody said good day. <laughs> it was very, very different. I can remember going out to Bondi to see a schoolmate of mine and going presumably over the hill down Bondi Road, I suppose it was, or whatever. Bondi Road. Yeah, and and seeing the, the the ocean out there, you know, I'd been on the ocean all my, and thought, wow, look at this, isn't this fabulous? And it wasn't wasn't crowded, you know. In the seventies, it was. It was a very working class. It was a very working community. class community. Yes, yeah, it really was. I felt really at home, <laughs> working class boy. A barra boy from Essex. I just settled into it just so easily. And I um, went to school. I did my master's certificate. Then I sailed um, Bounty for a while, the square rig ship Bounty and a couple of others. And um, What year did you get married? 80, I think it was. 1980. You met here in Australia? Yes, yeah, yeah did. Oh, correction, actually. No, we met at sea, but I really didn't know my first wife, that well. And to be honest with you, it was kind of a whirlwind. And I don't know whether you've ever been in a situation, but I'm sure a lot of our visitors have been in a situation where you think, I wonder whether I should be doing this. <laughs> really, it was. And, you know, the family were there and they were um, organising the church and this wasn't, this is my first marriage, not 
not my wayside marriage, which lasted for 22 years, <laughs> 23 years. It was kind of doomed from the start, too young. I was, you know, very used to travelling around, not sedentary, and it didn't last that long. But I had a lovely son out of it, so that's great. And then then a few years, quite a few years later, um, the pastor of the time. Um, Ted Knopfs? Ted Knopfs, yeah. Put a ring on, our, no, not on my finger, on her finger. We got married. <laughs> and that lasted for years and years and years. I had a beautiful daughter. Beautiful. Yeah. Now, what do you remember about the chapel then? It was, it wasn't, a, it wasn't even the same place as it is now. There. No, that, that that building was condemned. Oh, was it? <laughs> it what after I got married there? Yeah. <laughs> get get that guy out. Here. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, no. It's uh, our the Ted Noss was a genius. He mm. would uh, mm. build whatever he wanted to build, and yeah. then get someone like the premier to open it. Yes. So yeah. The premier was in no position to yeah. uh, send the council in to condemn the building. No, no. <laughs> what I do remember, John, was that it was. I always remember that it was homely. You felt comfortable at Wayside, even then. You know, it was a. It was the marriage was obviously just you know, a few of my friends, because I didn't have any family here, and um, my spouse's family. It did, I, I don't remember that much. I, it was the chapel where the op shop yes. is. Yeah, that's right, on that corner, tend to be on that corner. Um, but I, I do remember that it was warm, it was intimate, and it was, I felt good. That was nice, yeah. It wasn't. You know, something with a huge tower above it and this cavernous ceiling and, you know, I won't go any further. I mean, that warmth and intimacy is often in contrast with what people have in their minds about Sydney. Sydney often is a very busy place where people are walking up and down George Street and getting on with the business of life and not often stopping to make those contacts and, you, you said something about Wayside which, you know, reminds me of what the Celtic mystics would say. Yeah. Is they say in the everyday world we kind of just crack on and we move yes. and <clears throat> yeah. uh, we often don't make the connections with everything that is around us and everything we are a part of. But there are these places that are often described as they would describe them. The Celtic mystics would call them thin places, the yeah. place where yes. the connection between us and Eternity and the universe. Yes, yeah. uh, and the, the veil greater, is, the is, is particularly yeah. thin. Yeah. Where yes. you can you can have that you can walk into a place that's just bricks and mortar yet yeah. feel completely oriented in a new way. Yes. As I said about Wayside. You yeah. know. There was nobody there when I walked in. And yet everybody was there. Past and present. They were all there. And I was on my own and it felt so comfortable. It did. I to say comfortable, it might be not necessarily the right word, but it, it is in some respects. You feel, well, oh, this is this is just something special. And as you said, it's only bricks and mortar. Often during lockdown when we moved nearly all of our operations to being outreach <clears throat> and out on the street, yeah. I would get in there really early mm. and when it was still dark mm. and I would just sit in the middle of the chapel in the darkness, I yeah. wouldn't turn the light yeah, yeah. on and, yeah. and I'd place my hands in my head saying, mm. when, you know, almost despairing, mm. and saying, when, when's this all going to end? This mm. Whole, mm. The whole world is going through yes. a moment. Yeah, we didn't and, know. Yeah. And it's... And I would often be surrounded with this sense of being accompanied. Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yes, yeah. Where you'd get this feeling that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Because none of us knew where we were going, did we? No, it was very much that that space. Yes, yeah. We as a world collectively went through being at sea. Being at sea in the good ship wayside. (laughs) Well, not all of us were in the good ship wayside. (laughs) No, no. But we found our way there, didn't we? A lot of us found our way there. How? I don't know. It's, it's the the drum on the street. You know, have you, I, you know, often I, they say the place where you trip and fall is the place where you find true gold. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure you're right. Yeah. Mm. And I'm looking at you now, and love over hate is right behind you, and that's 
dead right. <laughs> You've had a few significant meetings at sea, your first wife. Yes. Me. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I was on one of the, our other ships, we brought uh, Sir Robert Menzies and Dame Patty from England. He, had, I think he had been over there for medical reasons. And um, we had the church service at sea on Sunday and I remember Robert Menzies, absolutely fabulous orator, who would read a passage from the Bible and then put his own interpretation on it. It was unique, absolutely unique. So when others were down at Bondi Beach or at South End on Sea in England or somewhere like that, we were travelling the ocean having our, our church service. And... Um, I couldn't the, imagine a more appropriate chapel, no, uh, no. to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's great. And um, uh, I had to read the lesson occasionally as well and um, it put me in good stead for public speaking. You know, so. your, your, your life's a, it's, it's a fascinating life and you know, you've moved through so many phases and chapters and yeah. it's always kind of brought you back to, to where you are today. There's... <clears throat> there's uh, you know that that moment at sea. I remember our first meeting. I, mm-hmm. I first of all thought you were the skipper of the boat, uh, and uh, so I thought I better stay close to this guy because I've only been on a boat twice right. in my life and yeah. I've vomited twice. Right. Yes. <laughs> and right. so I have two memories of that day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is one of becoming quite queasy yes. and grabbing someone's leg as mm. I went to contribute to the ocean oh, that right. day. Yes. And yeah. uh, I felt this firm hand grab <laughs> my hand and pull it away. Yeah. And it Don't was Don't jump a, over the side. It was a young yeah. man saying, Can yeah. you please do that somewhere else? And mm. I looked around and it was Ian Thorpe. Right. Yes. <laughs> I nearly vomited all over Ian <laughs> yeah, Thorpe. Yeah. And then the next day, uh, the next moment, mm. uh, the other meeting I had was with you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I said, oh, you, and you told me you got married yes. at Wayside. You mm. told me mm. you had a connection with Wayside. Yes, and, yes. And I said, well, you should come back. And yes. you said, well, you, I, I found myself at a good place in my life now. Yeah. I've retired. Yes. And yeah. I'd, I'd love to come back to Wayside. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and you, you, you did make the observation. You said, well, I'm not religious. Right? Yes. The, yeah. That's right. You were very clear yes. and upfront. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that was not why you were coming. No. No, but and I like that scribble that we had on the wall before, you know, um, this is not much of a church, so if you're not much of a Christian, it doesn't matter kind of thing. And I thought, oh, that relates to me. But there's more to, uh, I don't know, can you can you um, separate spiritualism from religion? Because I go down to the beach and say to my spirit of the sea, thank you and thank you for looking after me and all of those beautiful things. Um, well, religion, I the word religion just means to be rebound, right, to be reconnected yes. with who we are in yeah. relation to a big constituting other. Yes. Which can be the ocean. Yeah, which yes, yeah. Can be yeah. a room full of drunks, as they yeah, say, yeah, in yes. the recovery movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I, I remember just talking to somebody down on the beach and, you know, we were talking about this and and I said, oh, look, I have the spirit of the sea. And he immediately said, oh, that's so powerful. That's, And I thought, oh, okay, well, it's my little spirit that I say thank you to. Mm-hmm. But I think more and more I, with my connection with Wayside, to say that I'm not religious is not probably 100% correct. <laughs> See what you're doing to me, John? <laughs> And, and, there, and there was a moment that if we <clears throat> if we could go there, where yeah. your your second wife passed away. Yes, she did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When Georgie, uh, well, I I had left, um, so I was on my own. Georgie was on her own, basically. We weren't living with, or Georgie wasn't living with her mother. Yes, and she she passed away. Yeah. Uh, which obviously came as an incredible shock to to everybody. She was in health, in ill health. And, um, yeah, so basically Georgie and I, we were always incredibly close, you know, if anything. Well, I don't know whether it could bring us closer or not, but it was just, 
you know, a lovely bonding thing. And, uh, yeah, we said goodbye to to um, my daughter's mum. Mm. But then, then you come back to loneliness. Are you ever alone? Mm. I didn't feel alone. Um, when you have connection to people through clubs or churches or, or bowling clubs or whatever the case might be, there is always somebody there if you're open, and that's what you obviously have to try to be, open, and want to receive connection, it, it's always there, I think. Now, that experience of loss <clears throat> is a very palpable one. Yes. Also one that is sadly all too common for many who yeah, yeah. walk through our doors. Yeah. How did your experience of loss position you subsequently as you came to Wayside to volunteer? Well, it's one of life's experiences, isn't it? The passing of somebody that um, was your partner for 20-plus years, was the mother of your daughter. Um, it's hard to take, you know, and, you know, I just found a quiet time. Probably I went down to the beach, said thank you to my spirits and really you... Basically, move on, don't you? It's and I don't say that in a callous way. No. It's a, it's um, the way that I address life: um, love over hate, love mm. over hate. And um, we carry these as a part of who we are. We do, yes, yeah. And I think there is a powerful thing in family DNA. My mother was always very positive about life. I used to say to mum, oh, "I never ever heard." you and Dad argue. And she said, well, perhaps we did have our differences some, but, you know, we waited until you went to bed. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and she had a very positive outlook on life and always did until and right at the end. And, um, you know, that's what I have and that's what my daughter has as well, which is lovely. Um, and my son, of course. Um, so I don't, it's the way you view life, isn't it? So I go into Wayside thinking, wow, this is great, here I come again. My, the, your, no, our visitors say, oh, g'day, and good to see you. There's a smile, I've got a smile. You know, if they haven't got a 50 cents for a cup of coffee, very simple, come on, have a cup of coffee, yeah. And they either think you're the best thing since sliced bread and it's a 50 cent cup of coffee. It's fabulous, it's great, it's you know, there are no them and us. There, yeah. there isn't in this world. Yeah. I think the more people that realise that, the better. But um, the You live that out in <clears throat> a way that is quite clearly a part of who you are. Yeah. You know, I love walking in, seeing you challenging people to push up competitions and yeah, 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 yeah. you're in there. Yeah, and, yeah. And I just look back and I think, wow, you yeah. know, there's so many people that would be living in your uh, the suburb that you yeah. now live in, mm. who have at external, externally have uh, all the trappings of success, yes. and yet uh, leading lives of quiet desperation, yes. almost. Yeah. And, and here you are, mm. this beacon of positivity and yes. happiness, yeah. who has made a decision to not just sit back and let life pass you yeah. by, but to yeah. continue to engage, yeah. to continue yeah. to take risks, yes, and yeah. to have found this wonderful connection yeah. here where you contribute to the lives of others but yeah. also uh, contributed back to Yeah, yeah. And uh, I've seen you um, challenging some of our members of our trans community to push up competitions yes. as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. yeah. I just think, wow, that, that's... Yeah. Yes. What I was always so impressed with one particular uh, visitor who had this beautiful wig almost strutting around as though she owned the place. Mm. And it was so enjoyable to see. And you'd say, oh, good day. Yeah, How are you? Yeah, I know she, who, she's, yeah. who you're talking about. She's, yeah. she's an amazing yes, member yeah. of our community. She is. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of levels you, doesn't it? It's mm. we're all, you know, we've all got a ticking heart. We've all got a mind and we can do whatever we really want to do with that mind and we can portray gloom and doom and woe is me, 
But coming back to what you were saying, yeah, I do live in a pretty reasonable suburb, but I read that, was it 28% of the population live on their own and quite a lot, quite a high proportion of that is is female Mm. and they live on their own and... um, Life is no different in an affluent society than it is from a less that it is in a less affluent society. Everybody has their their problems, and, and I would say how that, you address yeah. those problems. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Look, we often think about poverty in terms of a lack of cash, but it goes so much deeper. Than yes, that, it does. doesn't it? It's yeah, about, uh, you know, it goes to that feeling of being unloved or unwanted, yes. but it also goes yeah. towards not having what you need, and that goes not just from material. And mm. resources, but yeah. also having the people in your life, the yes. ones you can turn to in yeah. moments of joy, yes. but also the ones you can turn to yeah. in moments of grief. Yeah. Um, and we can turn to those people that are, you know, at my club. You know, we had a celebration of life only a couple of days ago to this 98-year-old. And, man, it was good, you know, there was no tears. There was, well, I suppose there were, obviously, but hidden tears. What a decent guy that that chap was. You if know? I make it to 98, I'd want there to be tears of relief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, so would I. Jeez, the old bug yeah. is gone. <laughs> now, one of my favourite stories yes. that I get uh, from two of our volunteers who live uh, in the northern part of Sydney, both from Mossman, they were volunteering on the front desk and one morning this young lady walked in and she said, I'm just going to have a shower. Have you got some clothes? I need to go to work. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of their first shifts and they went out to the clothing cupboard and yeah. they fussed over what outfit they would give and they found a nice executive work blazer and, and a nice skirt that would go with it. And <laughs> yeah. after she came out of the shower, they proudly presented it to yeah. her. And they said, this will be perfect for your job. Yeah. And she said, you two have no idea. I'm not going to make a cent wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the same lady that came to the cafe and said, um, can I help you, dear? Yes, I'll have a cup of tea, love. Thank you very much. Yeah, How do you like it? Uh, milk and six sugars. <laughs> but don't stir it. I don't want it too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about some of your more memorable interactions and some of your favourite people who you've met by the wayside. Um, that, that's a difficult question because there are certainly some very cheery people that always want to have a chat and say hello and, and there's one particular um, visitor who, who does a lot of work with Alcoholics Anonymous, who you know very well. Um, tell us about your interaction with him. How has he changed your life? I'll tell you how he's changed my life. In respect that you could, the past life isn't always, hardly, probably is never what you would have desired because with a lot of our visitors there would have been abuse and I've been on um, DVO, domestic violence courses and things like that, so that we understand it. I remember um, somebody saying on the radio a long, long time ago and it made my ears prick and that person said, Nobody is born an addict or an alcoholic. Mm. They're not. It's through the circumstances that they have been brought up in or, of course, circumstances that they have created. But it's always they've created them because of loneliness, misery, addiction, violence, all of those aspects of life that quite a lot including myself, haven't really experienced as such, although I have a little bit. But um, the good thing about this particular visitor, and he said, oh, you know, cheerful as anything. And and then he just said, look, you know, I was uh, an alcoholic. Um, I was in AA. I had a terrible life here at the cross. And now I'm at AA, but helping others. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's great. It really is. And there have been, you know, quite a few stories like that where, um, and I'm sure um, one thing that you and I have in common is our absolute dislike for poker machines and gambling. Um, And it really 
from a personal point of view, it really annoys me to think that there is no um, advertising for alcohol. Oh, well, basically there isn't. There is no advertising for cigarette smoking. Cigarettes are gone. Yeah, yeah. cigarettes are gone. But gambling is still there. And wherever you go, and, and somebody at a wayside said to me the other day, you know, we were watching AFL or rugby or something like that, and in the break up comes 365 Bet or whatever they call themselves, and the, 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 the sibling said, Dad, what's all this about? You know, so we're exposing our youngsters to gambling. Wherever you go, there's just gambling. I think it's a, a, a curse, and... I, I read in your article, um, you know, what is it, 20-odd million dollars a day. $23 million a day. $23 million a day. In this state alone. Yeah, yeah. New South Wales. That's ter- $23 million. Mm. It's incredible. And the sadness that that brings and the despair that that brings. I've seen it in one particular person. Mm. You know, a mate of ours that we used to um, be at the pub with and then he vanished for a while. And somebody said, oh, um he's addicted to gambling. And I said, I know. How do you know? I said, because in his conversation, he could tell you the odds of, you know, the Sydney Swans winning or whatever the case might be. And I thought, I I follow the Sydney Swans, but I've got no idea what the odds are. We live in an addictive society. We do. You know, we are always looking to fill a gap that's in our hearts. And no amount of material possessions can ever fill that. No. And we're looking for something a little less material and a little bit more tangible, but intangible, dare I even say, spiritual. Yeah, yeah. That we can... that we can find in a yes. room full of, of love, yeah. acceptance, yeah. warmth and yeah. connection. Yeah. But if I can go back to gambling for a moment. One, one of the things that occurred to me on the way here um, was if you lose at gambling, hmm. right, which everybody does basically, <laughs> right, then they oh, feel... The, the bookies tend to win. Yeah. <laughs> then, the then they feel bad about themselves. You know, shit, I've let myself down. You know, which makes it even worse. You've lost your money and then you've lost your self-esteem and then where do you go from there? Mm. Hopefully uh, you go to Wayside and Mm. you see the smiling pastor and everything's right again, but it isn't quite that simple, is it? And you Mm. on the push-up challenge Yeah, me on the push-up challenge, yeah. But that is a common feeling for many who walk through our doors. Yeah. Is they've, they've... lost everything, yeah. they've uh, been denied certain things at yeah. a very early age, yeah. in fact been in situations of horrendous kind of abuse mm, mm. and then they've yeah. attempted to do something with their lives yes. and ultimately collapsed. Yeah, yeah. And they walk in often full of shame. Yeah, yeah. Full of uh, self-hatred. Mm, yes, yeah, that's right. It is self-hatred, isn't it? It is because, you know, well, how much lower can I go? How come I got to this stage? Irrespective, you know, today is today. Today I am feeling this way. Um, You don't look at that point thinking, oh, you know, my mum or my dad hit me or whatever. No, it's today I've lost all that money. Today I got drunk and chucked up in the street and, and, man, I feel bloody awful about myself and, then they walk into Wayside. And they won't be met with a clipboard. They no, won't be no. told to take a number. No, they won't be, no. No one's going to say, I know what you're going through either. No, oh, no, no, they're not. No. Or no. I feel sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But what they will be met with yeah. is a smile. Yeah, yeah. They'll be called by name. Yes, yeah. They'll be met with love. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Marty, thank you. Thank you very much, John. That was very enlightening and I'm going to spend many, many, many years as a, a mate of yours, <laughs> you're younger than me, <laughs> and Wayside, it's lovely. It's well, lovely. the first time we met, I vomited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, hopefully well, that'll never be repeated again. Well, you're not in the kitchen anymore, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, Marty, former Merchant Navy officer and Wayside volunteer, thank you for your time. Thanks, John. It's been really pleasurable. Thank you so much. From the vastness of the open sea to the intimate connections at Wayside Chapel, 
I hope you've enjoyed hearing from Martin Skipper, a former Merchant Navy officer and regular volunteer who can be found serving up delicious meals in our community cafe twice a week. A heartfelt thank you to Martin for sharing his journey and to all of you for joining us. As you move forward, we hope you carry with you the essence of today's conversation and find your own wayside in the world, those magical spaces where you truly belong. Until next time, stay connected and keep listening. For more stories from the wayside, subscribe to our Inner Circle. You'll find details in the show notes.